the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. the Bible Live broadcast this uh, Sunday evening. We're grateful always to be here and to be able to open the great book of books and, and spend time with you talking about the Bible. The Bible Live, you know, we have uh, been, this is our 17th, 18th year, I guess, that we're making our way through the scriptures. We're no longer reading the scriptures Monday through Friday evening uh, on the air. Uh, we're moving that to our to our internet site, uh, and we're working on getting that uh, fixed up. Uh, if I could ever figure out what an app is, <laughs> don't worry. we're working on it now to get the readings onto an app so that uh, folks can have it anywhere they are on the smartphones and other devices and be able to listen to the scriptures in our particular presentation of them. Uh, I guess the unique thing about our particular reading right now of the scriptures is that we have the scriptures broken into these 15 to 20 minute readings, uh, an actual annual reading schedule that we make our way through uh, that you could join and that uh, folks who would like to walk through the scriptures together with us every year. Uh, that, that's what we're hoping to get to so that you can have a, a, an app, that, another place that you could go to on your smartphone and so on and have the scriptures with you uh, there in your vehicle in your car, in your home, wherever you might be um, at work and so on, wherever you have your phone. So we're working on that. But uh, for, for the moment now, we're just doing our weekend program here where we are uh, answering questions, asking questions. We are discussing uh, our way through the Bible every year. And uh, this past week, our reading schedule 
read, uh, had us reading the books of First and Second Corinthians. We already started last week uh, t- discussing the background of these two uh, letters from Paul to the believers in Corinth. So uh, we're we've already gotten twelve chapters into the book of First Corinthians. We'll pick up tonight on uh, actually basically at the the chapter thirteen, the, what is called the love chapter of the Bible, First Corinthians thirteen. If I should speak with the, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a tinkling symbol. Uh, you know the whole idea that that uh, there's faith, there's hope. There's love, and yet the the greatest of these, the important thing, the mark of the believer, uh, the the um, the the thing that should set us aside as God's people, is that love, that that unconditional love that God has for us, and then that we, because of experiencing His love for us, we are then freed up and resourced. <laughs> Uh, to be able to love and uh, love other people, to pour out our lives in benefit of those around us, uh, our, our husbands and wives and children, our family members, uh, of course, first in that that inner circle of our lives, and then also those around us uh, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and so on, and then on to loving uh, in turn the broader picture, loving just people as we meet through the week. Uh, being a person who lives our lives for the benefit of others uh, in the same way that I remember what Jesus told his disciples. And as the father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And so we have that part in the redemptive plan of God. We have that incredible opportunity to live our lives out uh, knowing that we are um, a receptacle that God's spirit lives within us and is walking with us and moving with us. And not only is he given us a a, a, a relationship, a family uh, uh, with him that is unbreakable and eternal, but he's in within the family context, he's given us a place of service that we, uh, our lives are important. You and I, because of our relationship to God in Christ, in Messiah, we are men and women of destiny. We get to be a part of that eternal redemptive plan of God. What, woo, what an amazing and wonderful thought. Uh, that it lifts our lives to an, a level of significance and importance that uh, that is so satisfying and so exciting for, and fulfilling for us. Talk, talk about meaning and purpose in life. Wow. Uh, we never lack of that in as people of God. So here we are. We're getting into the book of First Corinthians. Uh, uh, yeah, First Corinthians. We'll pick up at that chapter thirteen, the great love chapter of the Scriptures, and we'll 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 say what that means. Why is love? Maybe I'll put a question out there for you. Why is love, as Paul says at the end of uh, chapter thirteen of Corinthians, why is love superior? Why is it? In some way, uh, uh, in some way, superior to faith and hope, both wonderful, powerful truths and and and, uh, and experiences that we have as God's people. But why is love considered to be greater than both faith and hope? If you look at First uh, Corinthians thirteen, uh, that last verse, verse thirteen. Uh, now we have faith, hope, and love; these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is that true? Why would Paul say that? Is it just a pretty nice uh, poetic sort of way ending of his chapter? Or is there is there some reason why love would be superior to faith and hope? If you'd like to give me an answer, I'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. 210 210- 
340-9585. That's our call-in line for the next uh, 90 minutes, and I uh, would welcome your calls. Join me here on the air as we talk about the Bible live on the radio. Uh, now, I know you're wondering, and I hadn't even explained yet, where's the big guy? Where, where's our buddy Jim? Uh, Jacob, I'm sorry. Where's our buddy Jacob? And uh, what's he up to? Well, he might be calling in. I'm thinking he might be, but he's taking some time out in um, Arizona. He's over there with his grandson, Tavin. And you hear him talking about Tavin very proudly uh, quite often, and his daughter over there and their family. So if he... Um, if he if he uh, is able to join us tonight, he will. I told him though, you know, he always said, "Oh, I'll call in." I'll and I said, "Well, you do that if you want, Jacob." But you know, if uh, if 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 he gets to going and you're just spending time with the family and enjoying that, and, and make that a priority, and we'll, we'll bumble along without you one program if we need to. And uh, so, who knows? I'm not quite sure if he'll get in with us or not. We'll. Uh, We'll look forward to his calling if if he can. So anyway, we're, there we go. We've got our start. We're ready to get into the the uh, book uh, books of first and then Second Corinthians as well. We'll we'll take on that second letter. Actually, Paul wrote four letters to the uh, believers there in Corinth. Uh, he mentions those in his. In these two letters, that's what, how we know about them. Uh, but these two are the letters that have survived and gotten to us. So uh, we'll, we'll listen to them and take a look at them. We'll look at the background of why Paul was writing to them and why he said some of the things he said to them. In particular, you might be interested uh, in uh, the discussion tonight uh, in terms of, of women uh, in the church, women in in uh, the body of Christ, and how does the Bible, how do the scriptures, how does Paul talk to them? A lot of people accuse Paul of being uh, what is it? Uh, misogynistic? Is that the the male? You know, um, is that kind of the guy, the male dominance and all, all for the males? Is that the word that yeah, they used? Word. Yeah, uh, or you know, just. Uh, and they say that Paul was anti anti women, anti female, and so on. I don't think truly that anybody that could be anywhere far, farther than the tr- from the truth in it than it is, because Paul had some wonderful godly uh, females in his life. He uh, he has um, you know he had a nephew, so he must have had a, either a sister or, or sister in law, a brother there. That, but I, most people think he had a, had a sister. Uh, he he recommends uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. He recommends Priscilla and acknowledges her leadership uh, in in her part and in her investment even in his own life as a believer um, from Corinth actually. And he talks about uh, uh, he recommends Phoebe and other females that travel with him and minister with him. So I don't think that that Paul is in any way. Uh, anti-women at all. In fact, he recommends women uh, to several of the congregations. And for example, and we just finished the book of Romans, and at the, he ended up talking about uh, recommending uh, a female uh, leader, a ministry, a minister that uh, he recommends to them and says he must receive her just as they would receive him. Uh, and so, uh, and of course, we look in the life of Jesus. Uh, th- th- there were a number of powerful, important, confident women, female leaders among them. Now, the culture of the time, 
the culture of the time, the Roman culture of that era, was indeed uh, there weren't the freedoms, there weren't the acknowledgement of the ability to hold property and witness and be a witness in in trials and courts and so on. That was a man's world in that, some of those senses, but that's not the Bible. That's the culture of that time, and I think. Uh, we're thinking that what the, uh, my belief, I said, I've, I've studied this many, many years and thought about it and been, in, of course, a part of ministries in other parts of the world, uh, other cultures and societies and so on, that essentially what we're going to see here that Paul is giving an admonition to the people of Corinth about uh, and he doesn't include this kind of like in the letter to the Ephesians or the Philippians and the Colossians and so on. But to the people of Corinth, he gives this very strong uh, advice, this very strong urging to the people of Corinth to be careful uh, to the women of the congregation to be careful in their the presentation of themselves in, in the church. Uh, you know, they're. In Christ, there is no male or female. There's no slave or free. There's no Jew or Gentile. He says we are we are one body in Christ. Uh, so we've broken down those barriers. But the practicality is that in Corinth, remember, it was a city of uh, brothels and pagan uh, and, and uh, false temples and false uh, worship of false gods. And we talked about this last week, how there was a prominent uh, misuse, uh, women involved in those religions, in those pagan temples that um, with with temple prostitution and so on and leadership that I think Paul was recognizing that reality in the in the Corinthian culture, in the Corinthian society. And he was saying, women, be careful now the way you present yourself. We, we don't want to be confused as God's people, as a church. Uh, to, we don't want to be confused with those congregations. Now, in the Jewish uh, faith as well, Jacob could fill us in better than I can on this. But uh, remember, too, there was a there was a clear line between any idea of sexuality or and so on in the in the congregation of, of uh, Israel, no doubt about it. There was a great um, judge Deborah of the twelve judges spoken of in the book of the Judges. Uh, there was prominent women. Miriam, Moses' sister, was a prominent woman in, in ministry and so in leadership. But there was this in the worship time. There was a clear separation uh, of, of uh, male and females because, again, they lived in a time when all around them there were pagan worship, pagan gods and pagan, pagan uh, idol worship and so on that involved uh, sexuality. There, there was a god to fertility and, and a, the, a consort to each one of the major gods had the female consort and so on. And so I think what we see in, in Corinthians is Paul just being realistically saying, you know, be careful about your witness and what we communicate to people, women, about about purity, about holiness, about righteousness in the family and in the, in the church. And so I, I, I'm... I'm pretty much convinced now I'll go with that, though I understand. I understand there are others who say, no, this was for all the church in all time, that women are not to speak, that to be covered, their hair had to be covered and so on, uh, for all the church for all time, because Paul refers to, uh, uh, he, he traces his reasoning back uh, from the women of Corinth back to Adam and Eve and, and talks about, well, well, it was Adam that, wasn't, Adam wasn't the one deceived, it was Eve and so on. And some people say, well, since he did that, that makes it a universal truth, not just a, not just a local uh, urging for them in their particular situation. So I, I get all the different views, but I'm 
I, I'm convinced that his admonition was primarily for the church, in, in, uh, and I think it could still be uh, appropriate today for certain congregations and places to make sure that we uh, keep that line of demarcation between any hint of sexuality and so on uh, and keep it clear. It could be a place for that, even in our churches, to be very careful about the role and the place of women and the the recognition of the the cultural mandate, the societal values that we might be ministering in. Maybe you haven't thought about it. I wouldn't be really saddened at all. In fact, it would make me very happy if you can give us a call and be a part of the program, and maybe you'd like to give us a thought about that. If Jacob calls in, we'll look forward to taking his call and, and and letting him join us here on the air. But if not, we'll just bumble along with the old soapster tonight. All right. In the books of first and second Corinthians. And finally, though, we got into the opening chapters, uh, chapters one through five of the book of Job. That's where we're headed next. As we finish up talking about the Corinthian books, the Corinthian letters, we'll go back and now and get into the exciting, wonderful book of Job, this uh, this suffering saint over in the Hebrew scriptures. Actually, what we consider to be, what is considered to be the oldest book of the Bible, actually, uh, the book of Job. And we'll talk about him and, and the message that God brings to us through, uh, through Job tonight, particularly as it relates to suffering and difficulties and trials and tribulations of this life. That's a it's an exceedingly rich book that we'll we'll get into it a little bit tonight. But let's start off talking in our consideration about the books of First and Second Corinthians. Now, Renee has already already dialed in and called up, so not, and I don't want to keep the, our listener waiting too long. So let's go and visit with Renee on the air tonight. Hi, Renee. Good to hear from you tonight. Hey, Sophie. How are you doing? I haven't talked to you in so long. Well, give us a call. <laughs> give us a thought. What's going on? I believe that it goes with um, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I believe it goes with um, why love is so important. It goes with John 3.16. That's my thought on it. You're going to the thought about the preeminence of love of God's. Oh, I you know, I and you said, "Why you, does love? Why does love mean so much?" You know, in the book in thirteen. Yeah, I believe it's because God so loved the world, He gave His own. I think it goes because Scripture goes with Scripture. Yep. And I believe that Scripture goes with John three sixteen. God so loved the world. It's His the world. The redemption. He gave His only begotten Son. You can't have any more love than that. Yeah. Well, That's I, right. I think you're right. I think you're right. There's something to that. And uh, as you say, Scripture connects with Scripture. Jacob always reminds us of that. Uh, of that. And uh, all through the, uh, ba- basically on every page of the Bible, from Genesis through the Genesis through the maps, even you'll find some expression in almost every page. Even times of judgment and difficulty, you'll find some expression that this is motivated by the great love that God has for His creation. And so I, I agree That's with you. That's right. Thank you. That's I a believe. Good insight. It really is. It's good talking to you. I haven't talked to you in so long. Oh, good to so hear take from you. So take a said hi. All right. Okay. We'll good. talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Wonderful. God so loved the world. That's why the preeminence, why the superiority of love over faith and hope. It's not diminishing, I don't think, in any way the value and importance of faith and hope. Both are very key elements and very key qualities. Uh, every human being on planet Earth has to live by faith. That's part of our life. That's part of the the, the creation plan of God. None of us have absolute perfect 
absolute knowledge yet, experiential knowledge of the full uh, plan of God. We all live by faith, even even those outside of the faith, even atheists and agnostics. We're all human beings. We live in the realm of faith because we live in time and space. We experience reality sequentially from one moment to another, from one hour to another, from one day to the next day to the next week to so on. And so we live in this in this grid of, of experiencing life sequentially. And so we we can uh, we can be an unbeliever at one time in our life. And then we come and we change our heart. We have a conversion. We uh, and we change our mind and we follow. We change direction. That's what the word repent means to change direction. And we we repent of our sin and we turn from ourselves and from sin to God in Christ. So there's, we all live, we live in a realm where we do change and we learn and we grow uh, in our decisions. And so uh, that that is a part of the question of, of what makes love superior. Uh, but let's, I'll leave it out there. Let me give some of you, the, why is love superior? In what sense is it superior to faith and hope. Now we have Jacob is joining us. Good, good, good. Now, John, you got to remind me how I get Jacob on here and keep him on here. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to get him on and then. Okay, one, two, and so we've got Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Hey, how are y'all doing over there? Oh man, we're missing you like crazy. Good to hear from you. How's Tavin doing? Well, he's actually over. In, we're actually in the hotel room, and he's got his own queen size bed over there. Right. He's over there playing. Well, tell him, so to, tell him to stay. We're doing ready to help us out. If we get into a fix, we're going to need him to help us out and explain our way out of uh, any problems we get into. All right, we'd love to. <laughs> and the family's good. Everybody, you had a good well, time. Oh yeah, yeah. We've been running all over. You know, we. Uh, we went uh, went to Kyle's Baths Caverns in, uh, in New Mexico and in Roswell, and, you know, fought some aliens, you know. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've been running around hitting all those kind of places, you know. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting. Carlsbad Cavern, and you said, what other place did you say? Uh, we went to Carlsbad, you know, that's the caverns, big, big caverns. But you mentioned um, another town there. Uh Oh, Roswell, where the supposed UFO crashed. Oh, yeah, Area 51. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, 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 hit all, we hit all that stuff, and uh, and it's surprising. You know, a lot of folks there, of course, I don't know if they're merchandising or really being sincere, but uh, you know, a lot of them say, oh, yeah, it's really true. It really happened here, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you do wonder where the, where the truth uh, ends and the commerce begins. Yeah. Uh, uh, it makes sense. Well, Roswell's interesting. I uh, that was the place where uh, the, the lady I thought was my mom, the lady who adopted me or got me whenever I was uh, just a newborn baby, saved my life and everything. Uh, Princess Babe Hawk, uh, the fortune teller that took little Soapy Dollar as a newborn in and, and saved my life and so on to get me started in life. She lived in her final days. She lived in Roswell. Uh, that, I, I like that little town over there, and I believe she's actually buried there. I've done a little research and gotten over that way myself. So, yeah, it's a it does have a strange background. Hey, is that Tavin? Uh, no, no, that's uh, that's he's he's got his little uh, 
Uh, laptop, whatever called on over. Well, say hi for me. We're glad to have you. I've already introduced the uh, program, yeah. tonight, the chapter thirteen of Corinthians, and on into three Second Corinthians, and then uh, we get started in the book of Job this evening as well, which I know is one of your oh, yeah. one of your favorites. Uh, I've asked the, oh, people, yeah. the opening question, and I'm really glad you decided to join us tonight. I know I gave you permission to kind of. Um, just stick, you know, not come on tonight and be with the family. But I'm really glad you did because I have a couple of questions, particularly in the letter to the Corinthians that I want to get some of your insights about. But we would just talk- and, uh, and and Tavin, uh, and ta- hey Tavin, say hello to Sophie. Hey Tav, hello. What's up, kiddo? Nothing. You and your, you? you you and Grandpa having a good time. We're looking at Carlsbad and all those stalactites and stalagmites. Do, do you know the difference between the stalactite and the stalag whatever? <laughs> I've forgotten. Uh, one goes ceiling and one's on the floor. <laughs> yeah, one goes from the bottom. I don't see how those on the floor get. Oh, I see. The ones on the floor get get formed from the drop, the drip, drip drops from the from the ceiling, right? Then probably the ones on the top get. Well, the ones on the top get formed because of the water dripping down, but the ones on the bottom get formed because of the water dripping down on them, and it builds up. Isn't that right? Yeah, I, I believe that's right. And eventually, they'll meet and uh, fill in and make a column. I guess connect or something. Yeah, yeah. I because hmm, I, I, I know as a kid, I was always, how do the ones on the bottom get formed? Because water doesn't drip up, you know. Uh, I was always kind of wondering about that. But anyway, you, uh, our kids enjoyed uh, Carlsbad as well. Was it, was it, is it still pretty magnificent, pretty impressive, Tav? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. He, he went back over there playing with his game. He, uh, he likes it. He actually, he's good at electronic stuff. He made like a. 30-minute movie walking through there. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, it's pretty impressive and, and gorgeous. Do you ever turn out the lights down there while you're down in there? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's very, very dark. They're just long enough for you to get a sense of, uh, sensation of being worried. Then they turn it back on. Well, there is absolutely no light. Yeah, that, that's true. Well, I'm glad you got to see it together and enjoy it. That's 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 the fun of being a grandpa, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, I told the people about um, I, the question I have out there for them now. I don't know how long you've been able to be listening, but I asked them about why is love considered to be superior or greater than faith and hope in the chapter 13 of the Corinthians. Uh, Paul ends up the chapter saying, uh, now there are three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so uh, I've got that question out for the listeners. And can you believe it? The first segment is already behind us. we got to hang on. Hang on there, for, and we'll get some more listeners, and you and I will come back and talk about uh, the book of First and Second Corinthians and... The wonderful book of Job in the Hebrew Scriptures tonight. Don't go away, folks. I hope you'll stay with us as we make our way through the Bible live broadcast for this evening. Don't go away. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar.
Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. In all we do, let's give thanks to God and honor Him. Our Daily Bread. Today's encouragement from the Our Daily Bread devotional was written by David McCasland. David writes, For many years, I've enjoyed the writings of British author G.K. Chesterton. His humor and insight often cause me to chuckle and then pause for more serious contemplation. For example, he wrote, You say grace before meals. All right, but I say grace before the play and the opera, and grace before the concert and the pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. You know, it's good for us to thank the Lord before every meal, but it shouldn't stop there. The Apostle Paul saw every activity, every endeavor, as something for which we should thank God and that we should do for His glory. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Recreation, occupation, and education are all avenues through which we can honor the Lord and express our gratefulness to Him. Paul also encouraged the believers in Colossae to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. The best place to say grace is anywhere and anytime we want to give thanks to the Lord and honor Him. There's someone who needs to hear a word of encouragement today. Help us spread these daily minutes of hope and inspiration by sharing Our Daily Bread on Facebook and Twitter. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Get the inside scoop on events and contests on AM630 The Word by becoming part of the club. Details at the top of the page at am630theword.com. That's am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Jennifer Lopez is an actress, a dancer, a singer, a songwriter, and a reality TV judge. And with her new single, Dinero, she makes it clear that she's not quite done taking center stage herself. This pop track comes from J-Lo's rumored forthcoming Spanish album. But for all of its catchy hooks, it's pretty much all flash and no substance. Lopez's latest caters to the empty idea that materialism is all that matters. Explicit content, both verbal and visual, joins several profanities in the song and video, making De Niro something most families won't want to spend their time or money on. For the full review, visit us at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Families, Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. I am 
You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back with you, ready to get started. The second segment of our program tonight, Jacob is on the line with me. And we are going to talk about some of these great passages from the book of Corinthians. Jacob, I wonder if you would mind giving me a little bit of background on this idea, uh, the place of women uh, in the house of God, the place of women among the people of God. And, uh, you know, Paul has often been called uh, anti-women and, you know, misogynistic or sexist or chauvinist and uh, about women. But I don't believe he was. He had a good number of very close uh, female friends and associates and even in ministry. He highly recommended them. But here in the letter to the Corinthians, he really uh, talks to women. He said, now, ladies, we've got to get this straight. You know, be careful about the way we present ourselves and in terms of speaking in the church and in, in terms of our presence in, in, in the church and how we present ourselves. Uh, how do you view that? Do, do you see that? How Would that flow uh, smoothly from the Hebrew Scriptures and from the uh, I know in, in, in Judaism as well that women, if I remember correctly, d- did not attend uh, the schools, like go to the synagogues with, with the uh, boys and so on. I remember the famous movie Yentl with Barbara Streisand, and her dad is a rabbi, and, and she's not allowed to study the scriptures and know them and so on. But And so the, I wonder, tell me about... Um, from the Hebrew perspective, uh, culture, traditions, and so on, what, how, do, how did the Hebrews view the place of women among the people of God? I know there was Miriam. I know there was Deborah. There were others. Uh, does that flow well into the, the picture of the church that, that Paul gives us in talking to the, to the men and women of Corinth? Yeah, and actually, you know, you're 100% right. Traditionally, like uh, doing the Torah reading, doing the studying, is uh, it's a chore that's to be assumed by the man. The reason for that is this: is that uh, I know this is a little different than a Christian thought, but just the way it is. But um, what it is is, if you look just at about six hundred, huh? <laughs> uh, but there are six hundred and thirteen commandments. Of those commandments, most of them apply to men. Indicating from a Jewish perspective, right or wrong, but indicating that the women are probably closer to God than men, because the men need the more commandments, because uh, men tend to be more beastly, shall we say? Yeah. So, okay. so they, so the women are considered to be a little bit closer. So the men basically have uh, their job is to study and uh, to know the Torah and to be the, the head of the family. Now, in the home. Believe it or not, the woman is in charge of the home. In fact, there is a Jewish, especially in the Orthodox world, a rule, a law, that a husband cannot require a wife to move move more than five miles unless she consents. Oh, that's why you see. That's why you see. the, the servant of Abraham, I forgot, I, I forgot his name. All of a sudden, uh, that's why he yeah. he, he at, they ask, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, yeah, you got it. They, uh, 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 Rebecca. They ask Rebecca if she wants to go away with uh, to be Isaac's wife. I remember that that's detail true. that you've pointed out a number of times. They uh, they didn't say, "Oh, you got to go." They said, "Do you want to go?" Right with. 
Yes, that's right. In fact, uh, they'll say, call her, and see, people do mess that. And they do tend to get the, more or less, the Jewish culture mixed up with the Arab culture because you could not buy and sell a woman uh-huh. uh, as a piece of cattle or whatever. Uh, that that was more of an Arab-type culture. Uh-huh. But, um, but if you, And as to what it says, what you're referring to, uh, it said Laban calls his daughter and says, let's call the maiden and see if she consents to go. And so, I mean, it's clearly right there. So the idea nobody they couldn't require it, uh, what did you say, more than five miles? That's correct. <laughs> so what happens is that's when they, and if you look closely, when uh, the servant, Eleazar, brings the gifts, uh, and he gives them to Rebecca. That's right. And, and so it's giving her, not, not the daddy. Anyway, so that kind of stuff. Cause, and, and let me do one small segue because there's something that I did here, you know, a little bit as I was waiting to get on with it. Uh-huh. He's talking about love greater. And this is something that's one of those neat little things in the Torah. You ready? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Because I am. I'd like to hear it again myself. Um, I am sitting down as you often ask. Are you sitting down? Are you ready for this? I'm sit- I'm ready. Okay, the very first letter in the Torah. Is actually, I'm going to you know, make this English, uh, Englishized, I guess, uh, Anglicized, whatever you want to call it. But so the the first letter in the Hebrew Torah, you know, where it says Genesis one one, uh-huh. the first letter is actually the second Hebrew letter. It's not the first because the first letter is silent. So there's something coming from, uh, let's say. The spiritual world, uh-huh. and that barrier, that line, that alf, is that's a it looks like a, sort of like a backwards end. But that's that's a line between what you might call the mystical, the spiritual, whatever, coming into the physical. So it has no sound. Uh-huh. But once it passes into the physical world, uh, the second letter is the first letter in the Torah because it has a sound like a B. And that's where you get the word uh, for Genesis. It's uh, Bereshit or in beginning. In beginning, yes. Uh, so, it's, it's, but now, what's interesting about that letter, it's enlarged. And if you go to the last letter of the book of Deuteronomy, the very last letter is also enlarged. If you take that letter and the first letter and you put them together, it's the word heart in Hebrew. Uh-huh. And, and what it's saying is, is that you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall put these words of mine in your heart. The whole word is in the heart itself. <laughs> that is great. I like it. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, I guess, symbolism, but maybe even more than that. It's not just a symbol. There it is in reality. Uh, is that in addressing the idea of the preeminence and the superiority of love? Is that where you're... Yeah, exactly, sure. So... Because uh, uh, you can tell people do the rules, you can do anything. Women are, are obviously, you know, we all know this, but women are the bastion of life themselves. And so, in, and uh, without getting too graphic, if you look closely at the construction of the original tabernacle in the world, and indeed, uh, shall we say, the temple of Solomon and David, uh-huh. and if you look closely, it, in a sense, you can see it uh, resembles, you might say, a woman's body. Uh-huh. And so uh, life comes from women because, and God gave life. 
itself when uh, the life giving, the nurturing comes from the woman, not from the man. And so, uh, in fact, what's fascinating is in the Old Testament, Genesis, uh, the only type of abortion that's ever really addressed is against the man, right. not against the woman. Exactly. Uh huh. And so, because it was unthinkable of a woman to, you know, yeah, that was kill just. A- <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. It was unthinkable that the safe place that God had designed for a child to develop and grow in, uh, b- before physical birth, the safest place in the universe was uh, considered to be the womb where we they're protected and guarded. And, of course, uh, that's one of the great perversions of the enemy and one of the great, actually one of the great um, judgments of God on, on the people of Israel is that uh, is that idea that we're, that we would sacrifice that child in some way or other and and we've we've seen i think you've helped us see and understand that the sacrifice of children to uh, these false gods and so on that there was a religious element uh, a spiritual element that they thought they were getting a bridge into the uh into the spiritual as they connected through the lives of these unborn children that were or, or these tiny ch- infants that were killed uh, that that would give them access into the spiritual world. I mean, there's a there's a perversion and a real ooh a spiritual sickness to that that is just breathtaking. But uh, and I I think I, men and women who are who listen to our program, I think overall I I don't know a, I don't know a godly man leader spiritual leader that I know of that I would respect that that justifies the killing of infants in the womb and 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 uh, the the idea of I heard a man this week Jacob making the I don't want to get off on, on the theme in general but I heard a man trying to make the excuse I think uh, Democrats in general in general politically they they're they're trying to, so hard to justify that idea that we're not advocating abortion we're in killing of it but we're advocating that women have a choice you know and trying to make a difference between the idea that women have a choice, but it, but if you advocate allowing women anyone to kill another human being, that's just that moves things. I think that's one of the reasons we are where we are as a nation right now, because when you started putting human life up for grabs and making it politically acceptable, I, I think that has been the great divide that has now got us in a in a quandary as a nation. To me personally, I I just think. At the base of all of our confusion and all of our difficulties uh, now and the great divide among the nation, my conviction is that it lies on that question of life. You know, when you start excusing and explaining and making killing of an innocent human being something that you would, a political thing that you could offer i mean i don't even think that should be an option you just you just have to guard the sanctity of life and find another solution the killing of an innocent child is never an answer is never a solution to any problem and and so that's that's kind of gotten us where we are right now as a divided nation but i i digress and i don't want to get us necessarily unless one of our listeners wants to talk about it into that theme but i was i was interested in the way the jewish uh, mindset about the place of women. I know that uh, that, that a separate worship place. If I'm not concerned, uh, if in other words, they didn't worship together, the men and women uh, in in the synagogue or in or in the. Temple. They have, uh, yeah, in the in the Orthodox, they have, and they did traditionally uh, 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 barriers 
not a wall, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a curtain, you might say. Uh-huh. It's, it's the Hebrew order is Mahitza, and it's a division, a separation. And the reason for that is not, <laughs> is not for the women. It's so the men concentrate on prayer instead of the women. Yeah, right. I get it for sure. We are visually uh, that God created. We, uh, we, we. The, the the female form and the female the, their faces are so radiant and so sweet and so gentle and you know we yeah we we created that way and there's nothing wrong with it but then I can see the practicality is uh, you know when when we're trying to worship and spend time with the Lord we don't need to be kind of peeking sideways and and uh, enjoying the beauty of our sisters in the Lord but uh, yeah. It's a practical matter, I'm sure. That's kind of my take on on what what Paul tells the people in Corinth. They have the added, uh, maybe the added um, situation that they're surrounded by secularism. They're surrounded by false pagan idolatrous worship, and a prominent use uh, of women in the worship, uh, like temple uh, uh, prostitution and so on. And so, Paul, I believe that it's really to the Corinthians. He's saying, now, be careful. Don't don't speak uh, in the church. Don't cover yourself. Don't be so prominent. You don't want to be with the mistake our, us as the people of God, as the church. We don't want to be mistaken for these uh, religions that use sexuality and, and so on and, and build on it. Uh, th- that's kind of my thinking. I don't think it was something that that um, women in general can never speak in the church, and they always had to be covered and so on. Uh, now, I'm not hard and fast on it. I know there are congregations that that's the way they function, and they organize that way. And the, the women, men and women who join that congregation, they understand that, that priority and that principle. And they live with it, and, and I'm sure it can be a blessing and it can be a help in the same way, practical way that you mentioned in the Jewish culture and society. But um, I'm not, I don't think I would take it that it's, that it's absolute. The Bible says, you know, that God says to all churches in all time that you, you should all, you know, that, that women should never speak, that, that they should always be covered, and so on and so on. Um, I, I think of it more as a, as a, priority that God gave to the people of Corinth. Now, we if we have a listener that wants to sound off and maybe give another thought on it, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. Is there anything... In the- Go ahead. Yeah, I would like to add, yeah, I'd like to add real quick that uh, in the Torah itself, you will find, and in the Jewish thought, uh, there are not just men prophets but there are women prophetesses. And and so they, like, for example, Sarah, uh, Miriam, as you mentioned, yes. those are all classified to the same ranking as the male prophets. So all the, like the songs they give, that kind of thing, yes. those are actually prophecies. So they're actually classified as a prophetess. Yes. And so uh, they have equal status. So, you know, and that's one distinction also between, well, you know, other, well, I'm, I'm dancing around against Islam, that kind of stuff. So they don't have women of that status. In Judaism, they do, and the women prophetess is exactly the same status as a man prophet. 
Exactly. Well, that th- Paul seems to have that in terms of his general practice. He he recommends Phoebe. Uh, he he obviously acknowledges the role of uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla had a formative role in his own growth and discipleship. And uh, so Paul, I, it, from the women that he presents and introduces to the the church in Rome and so on, I don't think he's misogynistic or anti-women at all. Uh, it seems to me that he's brought that 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 helpful principle from Judaism that we ought to be careful. Now, remember the power of uh, gender, the, uh, the power of, of, of uh, uh, sexual attraction and so on is very powerful. God has made it. It's a good thing, but that we want to be sure that it doesn't enter in and, 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 and what's the word kind of divert our attention in terms of our worship of God that we don't want to bring sexuality into it. That's kind of the principle I pick up on. Yeah, and, and I will tell you, in Hebrew, similar to Spanish, the words are male and female. For example, right from the beginning, uh, the first line in the beginning, God created Norris, creating the world, the heaven and earth. Heaven is a male word. Earth is a female word. So right from the beginning, it was male and female. And if you go down through all the things, all the steps of creation and Chapter 1 in Genesis, it's all actually male and female. Then it gets down to human beings, and it also is male and female. So male and femaleness was actually considered right from the beginning, even in the creation of heaven and earth. Was there any recognition in the Jewish perspective of, of the Scriptures and all? Because Paul in Corinthians, he he... He presents this idea, this kind of a warning that, that to be careful in the congregation, uh, uh, you know, of that, the perversion of the ideas of, of gender and sexuality, uh, that it could come in and, and be a, a negative in terms of our worship and so on. Uh, but I wonder, is there, he, he actually, in his argument, he takes it back to Adam and Eve. He says, because remember, it was. Uh, Adam was not deceived. It was not. It was the woman that was deceived. And he kind of he takes his argument back even to that to to the Garden of Eden and to Adam, which makes a lot of people. That's one reason that uh, some believers think. Well, no, this principle of men and we, women and women not being a place of leadership in the church and all. That's one reason they think that it was that not just a cultural or uh, uh, or. A, uh, societal mandate for the people of, it, of of Corinth, but that it was a general principle that was to be part of the church universal in every culture and every society is because since since Paul did take his argument back to Adam and Eve, that makes it theological and, and for, for all people. And, and I kind of hear that and I respect it. I think that, but is there any, um, what would you, what would your thought be about that? In other words, the, uh, the best way that I can explain it is this. If, uh, and I hope the company UPS forgives me for using them as an example, but I will use them. Okay. So suppose a, a UPS driver is driving down the road. He's got a truck full of stuff he's going to deliver. And he rear-ends him. This is a hypothetical. UPS do not get mad. Okay. And uh, so, uh, so he rear-ends you. Now, he's driving the truck, but he's legally not responsible. Who's responsible is the owner of the company, the company itself for sending him on that route and putting him in that position. You sound like a lawyer. (laughs) The same type of thing goes on with this thing. There was a woman 
uh, deceived may be a kind of a hard word to translate. I was about to spell so I, uh, The idea is she may have done that, but the failure was Adam's. And that's so, all, yes, she did that. Because if you go back and you look very, very closely, uh, and I know this is something that's not generally talked about in certain religious circles, uh-huh. but the truth is Adam was the one that had the major failure. And he, and when they created this being that's male and female, uh-huh. if you look in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, uh, off the top of my head, uh-huh. uh, it says, he made him male and female and called them Adam. Adam meant both beings. So they were to be uh, a helper to each other, helpmates. Uh-huh. And what happened is he he was supposed to be the strong, strong the, the, the be, have certain characteristics, and she has certain characteristics. When she was approached by the serpent, you might say, and that kind of thing happened, Adam was silent. He said nothing. He didn't do his part. So while she might have been operating the UPS truck, the one that was ultimately responsible was Adam, for not intervening, he should have stepped in and said, Hey, honey, listen, uh, this is my part. Uh, servant, get out of here and crush his head. You see. Yeah. Well, you know, but, and I'll, go ahead. Go ahead. I just say, Well, one more thing. And you can actually see that in the, uh, actually, the phraseology of Cain and Abel right after that. Uh-huh. What happened is God comes along and he says to Cain, Hey, you know, if you do better, things will go better, you know? It may have been the very first Coca-Cola commercial. I don't know. (laughs) You do better, things will go better, yeah. So, and and he says, uh, and because we put the period in English, uh, it sounds like Cain's statement is a lie. He says, uh, uh, where's your brother? Cain's answer, I don't know, period. Am I my brother's keeper? Take the period out and read it like this. I don't know I am my brother's keeper. What he's saying is, somebody never taught me that. Well, whose failure was that? Adam. Mm. He was truly, Cain was a, truly a son of his father, Adam. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. The point is, yeah, so see, that's, it's, it's not a lie. And I mean, it'd be kind of silly to lie to God like that. I mean, he already knows. He said, what he's saying is justification is, I, I wasn't taught that. So Adam, not only, he started from the beginning. He failed to intervene for Eve. He failed to teach his children what he should do. So it's really Adam's fault. In fact, may I point out, in the Christian world, they actually say the phrase correctly. Though I, I've often been fascinated by them. They say it correctly, but sometimes I just don't know if it catches. But they always talk about Jesus correcting, you know, Adam's fall, uh, the failure of the sin of Adam. Uh-huh. So it's actually called Adam's sin. So they got that because that is what the New Testament says. So it's actually correct. So, so if it's not really Eve's sin; it's Adam's sin. Yeah, he is the second Adam. He's yeah, they're exactly right. Well, that that makes a lot of sense, and it, it's a an interesting perspective. Not to get all totally off into, into the realm of you know men and women and our roles and so on, but uh, I kind of Paul talks about it in Corinthians that it, it was Eve that was deceived, but but they both fell into sin, and Adam's decision. Evidently, I, I, Adam's decision was not a decision of deception. He was not deceived. He knew the mandate from God. And evidently, Adam consciously chose to join with his wife uh, 
in in that decision to eat of that forbidden fruit. He, I've always been fascinated by the fact that he he was not deceived. He knew, and yet he chose. He was well. That's right. That's he, right. It's like James Bond. That's a lovely little nothing you have on. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Well, but but you know, actually, if you look at the sequence. The sequence goes like this, right from the beginning in Genesis. It says, you know, that God, because Eve evidently is not, she's not there according to the, the four corners of the page. Eve's not there. God says to Adam, hey, don't eat of the tree. Okay? Yeah. Now, then he puts him to sleep. Then he t- separates Eve from Adam. Now, when the serpent comes along, her statement is incredible. Her statement is, we were told nothing. No, what do you mean we were told? She wasn't there yet. Right. Unless she was part of Adam. Part of Adam, yes. Well, there we have it. Our segment's already gone by. And we spent some time on that, but I think it's uh, it's very relevant to the times that we live in. There's a lot of questions about role and the place of women in society and so on. And, of course, even in the church. And I think it's important that we get clear. Uh, uh, I don't think the church is in any way uh, innately misogynistic or anti-women. There's neither male nor female, nor Jew or Gentile, or, you know, or Greek, or there's slave or free. That we are one together as God's people, one together in in Christ. Well, we'll come back, and I want to ask you the question this second segment about uh, suffering. All right, and we'll get into the book of Job. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go away. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, Jacob, I believe John put that in there just for you. <laughs> we got a little a little Hebrew culture and music there for us coming back, uh, talking about Babylon and the people returning from uh, exile and so on. Well, let me uh, pot that down because it's going to go on for a long time if I don't watch it here. Uh, let's get back to our segment here. About- that, sounds, uh, that sounds very Jewish. It'll go on for a long time. <laughs> Good. Well, I know it will for sure. Well, let's let's get into. Let me ask you a couple of questions about Corinthians that I'm interested in the in your the Jewish perspective of these. Uh, one was about the place of women, for example, and we talked about that. Now, let's go into. Um, I wanted to ask you as well about this whole question of food. Another reason, you know, that there was a, a big problem among among the believers there in the. Uh, in Corinth was that some people had they felt like they had the freedom they didn't have any problem with eating the meat that was sacrificed to idols you know i think they would they would have their uh, uh, sacrifices and so on at the 
these other temples, and then they would put the meat on sale out behind them at the meat market. And uh, some Christian families, had, they didn't feel like there was any problem, and they bought the meat. And it, you know, it wasn't a compromise to them spiritually, but to others who have maybe came out of that religion, uh, to others it was a very sensitive topic. To, you know, to, wow, to have them eat that meat that had been offered to idols and so on. It was a, it was a, it was a stumbling block for them. And so Paul says, uh, you know, what we eat, it doesn't matter. It's You can enjoy it. You can have it. But the the biggest principle is love. You know, be, look out for the weaker brother. If there's someone who has a sensitivity. You know, and that's interesting because the, the love idea uh-huh. is, uh, is not just emotion. It actually encompasses from the old Hebrew the word of service. So it's thinking of others, what you're doing for them, not just how you're feeling about them. Good. And so, so it's actually the idea like, you know, you've heard the story about, uh, uh, sometimes you hear a preacher talk about when people have it, like maybe a uh, disease like leprosy, they're coming down the road, and they'll say, yeah, unclean, unclean, unclean yeah. And, and they'll people say, oh, well, that's a shame they had to do that. And see, that's not the idea. The idea is you're thinking of somebody else. You're loving them because it's a form of service to them. Right. And so what you're doing is is you're actually, love is great academically, but if it's plugged in, then it really functions. It does for other people. So that's why that without that, there's really no motivation to do anything for anybody. Right. Good. It's not, it's, uh, love, uh, as we're talking about here, is not, it's not a feeling we have about people. Uh, but it's the way we treat people. It, it's an action. It's the way we give respect. We give deference. We we serve. We help. Our our idea is to help people. Uh, it, I think it, it's really important what you just stated there, uh, for sure. And and I, that's that's our role. Love is actually not easy. It, it's sacrificial. It means that we. Uh, that we consider the needs and the design and the well-being of others uh, above ourselves, and we're willing to to throw ourselves on a grenade. We're willing to take pain and even to our own harm at times, uh, to, for the benefit and and for the sake of other people. That's love is not an easy thing. It's not this pretty little thing that we all oh we shall all just love. And I go, I go so far as to say this. When I, I know there's we all know there's a couple of books that's not somewhere not recorded in the Bible about the Corinthian lovers. However, you know Paul's talking about a thorn in my side. Uh-huh. You familiar with that? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay, well, I read all kinds of books. He prayed to be for, to be healed or delivered from that thorn in his side, but he wasn't. You know, God didn't, didn't right. bring it to him. And so I've heard all kinds of explanations, and any of them may be correct, or they're additionally correct, but I'll give you a, a Jewish thought on that. How's this? Okay. Uh, if you look, through, wasn't it three times you prayed to have that thorn gone? Yes. Uh-huh. Looking with the following letter, and you'll find it within the first couple chapters, that he had to go to the Corinthians three times. Now, what I think he's referring to is at the in the, in the book of Numbers, uh, and they were the thorn in his side. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's exactly what I'm going to say. I'll be. Hmm. 
Because if you look at three times, I said, I don't want to go. And they said, and they're thrown aside because, well, where does that come from? Because it's a Jewish phrase that there are two kinds of enemies. And you'll find this, and I'm sorry I'm doing this from memory, but it's in the book of Numbers. I think it's chapter 33, perhaps. Uh, but I, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you. But I will tell you this. Here's what it says. It says that there are basically two kinds of enemies. Those that come at you, the telling the Jews, straight on. They're like, they sting your eyes. In other words, they come at you straight on and sting you right in your eyes, right in your face. Uh-huh. And then there's the side that says we're your friends. And we believe like you and we walk with you. But as you're walking, they sting you in the side. Uh-huh. And it actually yes. says, I've asked for this thorn in my side to be taken out. Uh, there it is in 3355. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they there shall pass you, you in the land me? where you dwell. Oh, bless your heart. You got it. You looked it up. I am. I'm so proud. I was guessing right now, but congratulations. You looked up. And you see, there's the phrase. Yeah, I, yeah. And so all these Corinthians are really, you might say they're really, they couldn't, well, it's a charitable one thing. They're not really nice, nice Christians. Is that where you and, get the phrase with, with friends like that, you don't need enemies? Is that? <laughs> I, think, I, I think it does come from, but you can see the similarity of what I'm referring to, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. So that's see? an old Jewish phrase. Hey, I got, a, I got a thorn in my side. It's a guy that says he's my friend, and all he's doing is, poking me in the ribs and trying to do me in. He's really my enemy. Yeah. He's just like a guy comes at me straight on my eyes. That is so interesting. Uh, that's why we pay you the big bucks. I had never seen, I didn't know that phrase, thorn in the flesh or thorn in my side. Uh, you know, I, I, how likely it is, is it that you think Paul was referring, had this passage in mind from, from uh, Levit- exactly. the book of Numbers? Yeah, and I know I've heard all the stories that he was blind, that he had some kind of a disease, that maybe he had some unbearable urges that he couldn't, because I've heard all the stories. Uh-huh. But to me, I'm saying, well, I don't think so. I think this is a typical, very educated Jewish guy, and he's making reference to a Jewish phrase. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and if he says, you back, and you go back and look, he says, I, I got sent there three times. <laughs> And he asked God to remove it, and, and but but God didn't do it. You know, he uh, he he said, "My grace is sufficient for you. My uh, you know my in my in your weakness you're made strong." And, and it's a tremendous passage, uh, wonderful principles there at work. But I I haven't heard it related to that. I'm glad you mentioned it. It's a it's an interesting uh, perspective, and it can for us to consider. But now this idea of of love being superior. Uh, let me hit on that quickly. I don't know what you would think, but I, generally speaking, just from a logical perspective, it seems to me that love is eternal, and, and faith and hope. Uh, you know, someday when 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 God wraps up history, uh, Messiah returns and establishes His kingdom on earth, and everything is finished, and faith will be you know done away with because we'll. We'll see. We'll not walk by faith, but by sight, because we'll actually see God and we'll be among God with his people and we'll see Messiah. So faith will be, in that sense, uh, done away with. And then so will um, 
a hope because hope will be fulfilled. There's nothing more to look forward to. We are now with God and his people and, and, uh, and, and to be with him forever and to enjoy him. And my message is just going to be prominent and pre and preeminent, preeminent. So I'm right. And love is considered to be superior. Well, and this is one thing I'd like to suggest. Here's an interesting thought. You know, the, the Bible, try, can you, I can point to uh, a rock or I can point to something physical, but how do I point to something like an emotion, something intangible? Uh -huh. So when Adam and Eve were separated, here's an interesting ancient Jewish law. Uh -huh. So Adam and Eve were separated, but yet they still wanted to come back together. Uh -huh. So I've got two physical objects, but I can't point to something and say, you see this thing, it's an emotion. But I can give you two physical objects and then show that attraction. That attraction was like love. So when somebody says, oh, you're supposed to love, say, oh, I get it, that thing that draws men and women together, that's the thing I can't see, the love. And so that's how I'm supposed to feel for God and other people. So it teaches a lesson about something that's intangible. Okay. Faith and hope would be more tangible? or I'm kind of alluding to that verse where it says that now remain these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest one is love. Now, Renee called in earlier and said that she thought that was because, you know, it just passage with passage that love is spoken of throughout the Bible, you know. All the, almost every page has some expression of God's, uh, the underlying motive of God and where it, with his, is that he loves us, he loves his people, and so on. And so she was making well, that here's, point. Here's something, here's something that probably is beneficial. Eve is how we say the woman's name in English. Uh -huh. Her name is Hubba in Hebrew. Okay. Very close to And that is the word that makes up the word love. Is that right? How about that? Yeah, so her name, her name is actually love. What is, what did you say her name again in Hebrew as you said it? Yeah, Hava. Hava. Uh-huh. So it's actually, and Hava is, is really the same word as her name in Hebrew, and it means love. So her name is love. So women, you know, they have certain nurturing qualities, and they make the home. Because let's face it, without a woman, a man doesn't really, he doesn't make a home. It's we, women that civilize we're men. just not much good without them, are we, Jacob? <laughs> so, and so you've got, so actually her name is the word love. That's her name. Uh -huh. Wonderful. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is a very interesting. Uh, there's so much in Corinthians that I'd like to talk to and about. There's this passage that talks about the in a moment in the blinking of an eye when the last trumpet is blown, the, 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 uh, the resurrected uh, living Savior, the Redeemer will return, the Messiah will return. Uh, and then we talk about, there's another passage that talks about... Um, uh, I love that passage in Second Corinthians. It says, "Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, uh, and the whole idea of freedom and liberty in the Scriptures is different." I think we, as human beings, we think of freedom here in the United States. People think freedom is the ability to do the, anything you want to do. When, when in, more correctly, in the Bible, freedom. The idea of freedom is not the ability to do anything you want to do, but true freedom is the ability to do the right thing. It's the freedom and the power and the potential of doing the good thing, the right thing. Not It's not just the ability to do anything you want. 
And I think that's a key definition and understanding of the idea of what freedom is that we really need to get back to because this idea that freedom means you get to do anything you want to, you know, if, if you want to um, hurt or maim or kill this other human being, you can do it because you just want to or, or you know, I just want this, I want that, I want that. That's not true freedom. Freedom is the ability to do the right thing. And, and of course, we see that in Second Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is genuine, true freedom, the ability to do the right thing. I've always liked that idea uh, that comes to us from Corinthians. Uh, I don't know if you have a thought about the freedom principle. If that's cons- I'm, I'm, well, I know the I know the quote from Jeremiah that says, "Okay, you ask for your freedom, I give you your freedom. Now you're free to live and die and murder and hurt others. You've got your freedom." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, if that's what you want, I give it. Sometimes uh, you, you better watch out what you ask for, right? In that that yeah. sense. Well, the, let's let's move on to Corinthians I, uh, to Job. I wanted to get us to introduce the topic at least. I know it's one of your favorites. You've always said, "Oh yeah." And that, I, I personally, I personally, and it's just everybody has their own thing I like. But I find more relationship and depth and understanding the uh, God, shall we say, uh-huh. from the Book of Job than any other book. And here, and I guess it's because we are reputedly, and I accept it. That's the oldest book in the Bible. So therefore, I'm thinking the people closest to the event understood things as best, better than we could. So I find the phrases fascinating. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that in the book of Job it says that the earth is round and hung out in space on nothing. It says right in Job. <laughs> I know. Law, he had it right. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump to Job and set the stage for us. Uh, it, the interesting thing about Job, most people realize that it's about uh, suffering and that it's about th- that the key element is it's talking about what is the, what is the reality of, of how God sees and treats his people here on planet earth in time and space in history and what is there because there's this terrible suffering that goes on the loss of his family the loss of his possessions the loss of his health and yet uh, even in the midst of all the, the the big controversy is why did that happen and his friends his so-called friends are telling him oh it's because you you're a sinner and you've done something bad and and joe job that he doesn't believe that he he knows his own heart, and and in fact we the the interesting thing to me is that we know the background, we know that we know that it isn't about Job being. In fact, Job starts uh, the book of Job starts out with God bragging on his servant Job, uh, which is I, I think is a remarkable concept. That God it does, and did you notice what? Yeah, one of the other themes there is. Uh-huh. That uh, that evil, I mean true evil, doesn't function unless it has some type of granted divinity. Hmm. So it has to seem to have some divinity in order to be evil, but it can't do it on its own. It seems to have to have consent. And in chapter one of Job, that uh-huh. you know, it says the. Uh, the sons of God came, and this angel came, too, uh-huh. saying, uh, I won't get into all that kind of stuff unless you want to, but it says on one day, and the question is, what day? Well, that's considered and understood to be Rosh Hashanah. Okay. In chapter 2, it says, 
one day, uh, the sons of God came and uh, an angel named Satan came too. That's Yom Kippur. Right. Yes. So something very interesting is going on in that chapter. And and I know that there's different points of view from uh, different people, but in the Jewish thought, Satan can't uh, exercise things no matter what, unless God says okay. Right. And then we then we get stuck with the idea of well, why does God say okay? We have the same concept that you know a lot of people see the yin and the yang that that Satan is God's counterpart, you know, equal uh, equal uh, opponents. But no, he, we understand that Satan is a created being. He only functions to the level that God and His sovereignty allows him, and he has a purpose in the plan of God. And that his uh, his ultimate destiny and fate is already sealed, uh, and judgment will come for him. But yeah, I, I, I get this. I think we have the same concept there of Satan only functions and the level that God allows him, and and God bragging on his servant Job, and uh, and and then he, Satan is given permission then to take his family, to take his wealth and possessions, and to take his his uh, own health. And and then you have these this long discussion in the final books of, of, uh, between his friend. Now, tell us the identity of those of those friends. Uh, um, uh, oh, God, well, you know, one of them is that, actually so yeah. One of them is from a certain area of a very strict pagan worship. One is the uh, children of Esau, and uh, and I can't remember the third one right now, but. Uh, all three of them, perhaps next week I'll be able to, I'll bring my notes with me, but we'll have all three, but they're all three negatives. And when they all come, this is an example of a uh, thorn in your side, you might say, uh-huh. because they don't really, they appear to come as friends. Right. But they keep saying, and we know, and you pointed out very well that actually uh, there is no, uh, uh, there, there's nothing there that, we haven't seen before, and people come, and sometimes, you know, they say, oh, man, don't you look bad. But they're not really your friends. They're coming to gloat. And all three of them actually are saying things that we all learn at the end of the book is not true. Mm-hmm. And so, because God appears, and he tells all three of them at the end, is that, hey, you know, everything you said, you made up. That's not me. I never said that. Now, you guys... Go back to Job and have Job up pray for you. Now, <laughs> yes. here's an interesting thought: is why, if Job, one you know, one it seems is that Job really is a sinner, uh-huh. and and that's one thing. And the other one is, well, you know, you just don't get the big picture. I mean, everything God's doing is it all fits together, even if it's not good for you. It's it's good for the big story. And so we're actually getting these themes. And we have God coming along saying, that's not true. I never said that. You made that up. And then he asked this guy that went through all the suffering to pray for them. Hmm. Would you like to have an interesting thought about that? I'd love to hear it. Okay. Let's suppose. Now, we all know that uh, Job is the oldest book, though the book of Genesis tells the oldest story, like the right. story about the old witness. Uh-huh. But let's suppose that Job is not just an incident of a guy going through terrible pain and suffering, losing children, losing everything, uh-huh. but never really dying. Suppose Job, or Eov in Hebrew, which 
people, most people understand there's a related to the word suffering. Uh-huh. And so suppose it's a prophecy of the nation of Israel. Uh-huh. At the end, because me. you asked, huh? That wouldn't surprise me. You see, at the end, you say, how can this guy, he's lost his children, how can he ever replace his children? Because we all know you lose a child, you can't replace it with another child. You still have that loss of that child. Well, that's exactly what's happened in the history of Israel. They've lost those children. They're gone. But they still have more children, and they still go on. And at the end, they're asked to pray for these other, these other folks. Uh-huh. Interesting thought, isn't it? It truly is, and I'm kind of, I'm trying to kind of internalize it and think through it. Maybe we can talk about it more next week as well when you're back in the house in the studio with me. But uh, I'm thinking of how that might even, from the broader sense of Israel, of God's people, how it might have an application to all of us, not oh, yeah. Israel in, in the national or, or ethnic sense, but spiritual Israel. It might have an application. I think it well, I would. It hundred percent would, and I would agree with that because uh, you notice those three guys, even though they were wrong, they were not excluded. Quite the contrary, they were included. So it does. It, the whole house of Israel, as you say, would include people who are not just genetically Israel. Right. Exactly. True. 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 Well, that, that I'm looking forward to us getting into Job and more depth and, and uh, those insights that you bring and these different arguments that are started out that start out i was talking to someone today uh, in our ministry out at lackland that we, oh, we had almost 2000 we're beginning the summer surge and we had almost 2000 young men and women from the united states air force going in to the air force there that we were able to have in our in our religious education classes and wow we had a great great morning and a lot of guests with us Uh, from uh, our uh, crew military uh, headquarters up in Virginia. And I was talking to one of them about our program and about you in particular, how how you enrich our understanding of the scriptures and helping us understand, you know, that the language, the culture, the history, the traditions that come because of it, it comes out of it comes out of Judaism. It comes out of the Hebrew people and the Hebrew language and so on. And I was telling them about you, and uh, I, I'm I'm just more and more excited about what you bring to it and how you help us each week. So I, I I appreciate that, Jacob, because we all really this book. There's something about this book, the Bible, we we have in front of us and we have today that. Folks, God has spoken. He has moved in time and space and history. He has revealed himself. And wow, it's just so, what, an, what a precious gift we have in this book, the Bible, this, this record of these experiences of other men and women who, centuries ago, but who, who gave, wrote down accurately a, a, a record of their dealings with the true and living God. We'll get back to it next week and get deeper into the book of Job. But Jacob has a message he always ends our program with. Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Thank you, Jacob, for that good reminder. Folks, we'll see you next week here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. 
San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.